You're listening to Chasing Prophecy Radio, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. On UPRN Talk Radio FM 107.7 in New Orleans and FM 105.3 in Mississippi. If it's unexplainable, we're talking about it. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, we cover everything where the unknown becomes the known. And now, here's your host, Jenny Nicasio. Welcome to Chasing Prophecy on FM 107.7 in New Orleans and 105.3 in Henderson Point, Mississippi, where we explore the unknown and discuss the mysteries that surround us. In the quiet moments when the veil between the worlds are thin, some of us find ourselves on the threshold of the extraordinary. Welcome again to Chasing Prophecy. Just remember, we're on eight different platforms all across. Facebook and YouTube and around the world live in New Orleans and Mississippi. And we're uploaded to SoundCloud and all the iHeartRadio and all the different um, radio platforms, the podcast platforms. So I just want to let you know that sometimes I can't see the chat. I'm too busy engaged with my um, guests. So don't take it Don't be offended if I don't get to all your questions and comments, but make sure you do comment because we're thrilled to welcome a truly extraordinary guest to our airwaves tonight. Steve Stockton, the acclaimed host of Everything Out There, joins us as we dive deep into the shadows of the unknown, exploring a spying, tingling realm of the paranormal, supernatural, and folklore with Steve. From chilling encounters with ghosts and poltergeists to enigmatic tales of cryptics like the Loch Ness Monster, maybe. I don't know. We might talk about that, but I'm sure we're going to talk about Bigfoot because he's out there. And a lot of people know that. And we've had a lot of different guests talking about that. So, and he also says, everything out there takes us on a journey into the heart of the unknown into the world's most haunting mysteries. Steve's expertise in global folklore opens the door to the ancient legends, mystical beings, and traditions that feed our fascination with the supernatural. He's also the host of Missing Persons Mysteries. And I've seen a couple of them last night. And I have to tell you, this man has a voice so calming so if you're having an uptight night and you just want to be entertained too with the missing persons or any of other, you have to check him out because I really find him to be a sweetheart. So I'm going to bring him on and I just want to make sure I'm going to look at the chat to make sure it's open. And sometimes, hi, Cindy, how are you? Sometimes YouTube and Facebook doesn't show up. You don't get your notifications. So sometimes I just like to wait a little bit before I, we get really deep into the story um, and the guest, um, his talks. And I have to tell you, I've been following Missing Persons for a long time. I started when I started listening to Missing 411, The Hunted, and Missing 411. Uh, what was the other one? The Oh gosh, help me. There's two of them. I can't remember the first one. Hi, how are you doing? Um, but, and I also like David Politis because I, you know, I follow him. And so this really intrigued me when I, when I found this guest on Facebook and I started dwelling into his, you know, 
his information and he, he's an author too. And he has so many books out there and being an author, I'm kind of envious sometimes when I see these authors who really put out books and I'm like, so slow, so slow, but I'm going to go ahead and bring Steve on. So welcome to Chasing Prophecy, Steve. I'm so glad to have you here tonight. And like I said, I listened to your, um, podcast. And what I'm going to do right now is I just want to show a little bit of just the beginning of it so people can see it. Um, because I think it is incredible and I think you do a lot out there. That's good. So let me go ahead and bring that on. All right. So Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. So let me just play a little bit of it and see, hopefully it turns on because I'm so slow at this. And sometimes I don't do very well. I don't know why it's not playing. So let me just make sure I hit play. <laughs> I'm going to make it big, too. Can everybody Hello, hear friends. that? Today, we're going to be talking about five wilderness disappearances where mysterious disembodied cries for help were heard by search and rescue teams, but the person couldn't be located. You can imagine how these disembodied cries for help would have baffled search and rescue teams when they couldn't locate the missing person who had vanished in the wilderness. Likewise, the person calling out would probably wonder why they couldn't be heard. As we all know, thousands of people go missing every single day in the United States alone, and while some are found safe and sound and return to their family and loved ones, many are never seen or heard from again. How devastating that must be for the people who remain in the dark about their loved one, wondering always what if and what happened. Are they alive? Are they that that voice is so I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Let me make sure I can turn it off because I keep hearing it in the back of my head. Okay. So, Steve, let me ask you a question. Um, sure. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Um, I want to make you feel comfortable and talk about whatever you want, but I just want to get a little bit of background. Um, tell me your story. What what brought you here um, to this missing, for, you know, people and your, your you know, the paranormal what what brought you there yeah it's been a lifelong journey um i was born and raised in east tennessee in the, the foothills of the appalachians there and uh my maternal grandmother was a self-described gypsy witch and i don't know where the gypsy part came in because she was born in the cades cove area the great smoky mountains but uh she had a gift she told fortunes read tea leaves uh told them your future by the bumps on your head phrenology it's called uh, animal entrails uh, when they slaughtered uh, pigs on their farm. Mm. Uh, she was into a little bit of everything, and uh, she introduced me to the world of the paranormal. Their the natural, their natural was the supernatural. Um, they regularly held seances, table tappings. Uh, like I said she told fortunes, read tea leaves, coffee grounds, things like that. And uh, out of all the grandchildren, she had ten kids: my mom and nine brothers. And uh, I was born with a veil over my face down south, they call it. It's an in call or just a, the amniotic sac was stretched over my head and they had to cut it away. But in her uh, mountain witch uh, superstitious mind, that marked me as a special child. So at a very early age, she took me under her wing and taught me all kinds of folklore and superstitions and things like that. So I, I came by it honestly. And then I started having my own personal paranormal experiences around the age of three or four. I, I saw things and uh, heard things, and uh, that's kind of how all that started. They were part of the um, 
spiritualism movement from around the turn of the last century. They had um, mm -hmm. a relative that never came back from World War One, and that was how they got into the, the Ouija boards and all that. But she told fortunes since she was a teenager. But um, that was uh, the start of that, uh, the paranormal side of things, and uh, that just continues to this day. But uh, the interest in missing persons happened on Father's Day, 1969, when Dennis Martin disappeared in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, lived in the same town, Knoxville, Tennessee, as Dennis did. We were only a few months in apart in ages. I was five going on six. He was six going on seven. And he disappeared there from the Spence Field area, the Smokies. And, of course, it was big news locally there in Knoxville. All the stations covered it in the newspapers and things. And um, heard about it the day that it happened, that evening on the news. And uh, that was uh, the missing person zero for me. That was the one that, that started me. Uh, kept watching and looking, you know, for some kind of news. Uh, somewhere I've got a couple of scrapbooks newspaper clippings that I cut out about that case as a child and pasted them in there. And every day I thought, you know, today they'll find him. Today something will happen. And um, where I lived out in Knox County, we lived on a, a mini farm, 26 acres. And uh, most of that was wooded. We only had about five acres cleared. And in my little five-year-old mind, I thought, well, we don't live that far from the Smokies. He could have wandered down here maybe. It was an hour, but that was an hour by car. And I got out on the dead-end country road that we lived on and looked for him on my Schwinn Stingray. So, again, that, that was where I got my start. I'm still trying to help find missing people. That's just something that's been laid on my heart to do. And um, if uh, you call it a mission statement or what have you, but if I can bring one person home or, worst-case scenario, give one family the closure they so desperately desire, then I'm doing what I'm led to do. So that's that's how my journey with the missing started. Wow, so, that's incredible. I'm a mixed bag here. I'm I'm all over the road, but that's where I'm most comfortable. Yeah, I find it's it's really cool about your was that your grandmother? Yeah, my mom's my, mother. And you were born with a vow. My grandmother was born with a vow, and they they always say that they're you're special, and you must be if it's not. Yeah, that's that's what I was told. Again, I don't profess to have any powers or anything like that but i do know things sometimes that's the best way to describe it and that's the way yeah. my granny was she knew things that she didn't have any way of knowing yeah that's 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 neat i like that uh i think it's you know if you have a relative that's like that that's that's a gift in itself because it's so it, mm -hmm. it makes it makes i don't know makes it neat you know oh graham you know she's into that but that's that's a credible story um now when you when you have well, you're five years old, mm -hmm. when you your friend is disappeared, did you, did they find out what happened to him? No, they never found any real trace of him. There was one footprint that they thought might have been Dennis, but they weren't sure because there were some Boy Scouts and some Cub Scouts in there helping search too, and it uh, was similar to the footwear they were wearing. Now there was a family named the Key family that farther down in the Cades Cove heard a scream. And saw what they described as a hairy man-like person uh, going up the the holler with uh, something red over its shoulder. Well, Dennis just happened to be wearing a red jacket when he went missing. And uh, there are tales of uh, feral people that live in the Smokies. There are tales of Bigfoot and other things up there. Uh, retired uh, park ranger Dwight McCarter, who was the lead tracker on that case, mm -hmm. um, he's 
alluded to wild people that live in the park. He didn't come right out and say so. He just said there's some people that live in the park that uh, are off grid and, and would like to be left alone. But there are other people out there that claim that there are feral people and uh, maybe even Bigfoot human hybrids that live in the Smokies. Yeah, that's what I was always thinking that they were hybrids of something. Like what? You know, do you do you think they're from like I you know like a lot like I think that um, like David thinks that they're you know from outer you know UFOs or some kind of an alien uh, hybrid. Short answer: uh, I don't know the answer. This that and that's what I've found in investigating anything paranormal, cryptids, uh, ghosts, mm -hmm. uh, UFOs, anything like that. Uh, one size doesn't fit all. And uh, the same with the missing people. I've had people ask me, is it Bigfoot? Is it Dogman? Is it the Glimmer Man? Is it UFOs? Is it the Fae or the Little People? Uh, is it Portals or Rips in Time? Uh, yes, all of the above, because there are certain cases that fit those criteria. So it's, it's really hard to say. And the longer I've done this, uh, the more I've... Less answers I have. I have more questions than when I started. So I gave up years ago trying to find the answers. Now I'm just looking for the next set of questions. As Charles Fort wrote, one measures a circle beginning anywhere. So I'm still mm -hmm. still working that circle and, and trying to move on. Well, Tennessee, that's, that's, that's so like, there's so much, you know, depth woods and everything. And how many people must get, you know, um, are reported missing? Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, uh, a lot of people go missing in the Smokies, not as much as Yosemite. That's the, the national park with the most yeah. missing people. But the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is the most visited national park. It regularly sees in 12 million range per season, whereas Yosemite doesn't even get half that. So uh, yep. there's a disparity there, but a lot of people do go missing in national parks. Now, it's not always something spooky or mysterious despite what other people would want you to believe. Sometimes it's just pure misadventure. Uh, people that are uh, underprepared and overconfident, it's easy to get lost out there and to injure yourself. And if you don't let somebody know where you're going, if you're not prepared for the elements or don't have enough food and water, it's, it's really easy to make a mistake that's very costly. Mother Nature is unforgiving. You're very, very... What, what was one of your... Um most uh well we have a question um could there be portals that missing people may have found that's a possibility too uh, i've uh, reported on cases where people were missing and uh could see the, the searchers the search and rescue people they maybe called out waved their arms and stuff but it was like they could see the people that were searching for them but the people searching for them couldn't see or hear them and uh, that little snippet that you played there, that video talks about disembodied voices that, that people have heard uh, on both sides of that, uh, on the SAR side and people that have been lost. And there's definitely, in some cases, there is a supernatural element to these disappearances uh, where somebody's on a trail and suddenly realizes they're no longer on a trail. They don't know where they're at. They don't recognize anything. There's not any trailblazers marked on the trees. And they're suddenly someplace they don't know where they are. So uh, a portal that's not, you know, scientifically proven or anything, but I think it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. There are things out there that we don't yet understand. We don't. Do you find there's more people disappearing um, in a certain area? I mean, I know national parks is one. 
What about like, I know people were talking, um, oh gosh, where was it at? Crater Lake. That there yeah. seems to be a lot that disappear up there. Yeah. I lived in Oregon for a while. Crater Lake is a very, very strange place. And uh, probably the most famous uh, case I can think of off the top of my head from there is uh, Samuel Bulky, little boy. I think he was eight years old when he went missing. Ran up uh, the side of a hill just ahead of his dad. They were playing tag. And by the time his dad got to the top of the hill, there was no kid, and they, they never found any trace of him. So it, it could be abduction. It could be uh, predatory animals. It could be human predators. It could be anything. I mean, this, there is no a certain thing, but uh, there's a lot of different things that it could be. But what? again, you know, for an animal or something like that, there's going to be evidence. I've seen very sad yeah. pictures of a uh, animal, big cat attacks and bear attacks and stuff. There's forensic evidence, there's torn clothing, there's blood and other things. But for these that go missing where there's absolutely no trace of anything, maybe footprints and then the footprints end and the person is never found. There is no rational explanation for that. Yeah, that's that's what's scary because if there's no evidence of any any blood or anything, it's like there's no no clothing, nothing. So what what makes me a little nervous? I'm actually I used to want to camp a lot, and now I don't even want to go camping because I hear after you watch all these shows and YouTube it will videos you of that uh, hobby. I used to do a lot of solo hiking and a lot of camping. Used to love cold weather camping and wake up in the Smokies with. Somewhere off trail, I like rough camping and stuff with, you know, a fresh foot of snow on the ground. I wouldn't give you anything for it now. But after doing these, I wouldn't solo hike and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless, you know, you, you're prepared. Have a personal locator beacon, uh, signal flare, some kind of uh, weapon. There's just, there's too many things that can go wrong out there that, that have gone wrong. And there, there's it's kind of it makes me wonder, too. It seems like these are these people are always by themselves. It seems like whatever this is or or who or what doesn't doesn't come around when there's more than one peep, you know, person. Yeah, it's always a, a single person that's uh maybe if they're part of a group, they stray off the trail, maybe go to use the bathroom or uh, go back to the car, or the campsite to get something and then they never see them again. That happens in a lot of cases. Uh that's you seem to be safer if you hike or camp with a group, but stay with the group. Yeah, stay with the group or use some kind of beacon or something. Um, so can, give us one, give us some of your, your most amazing um, missing persons that you recall. Uh, one that I, I released a video today, and it didn't happen in the woods or the forest or anything, but from a nightclub in Ohio, a young man named Brian Schaefer uh, had gone to a bar with some friends. He was a college student. And uh, there's a closed circuit TV of him in the bar, but there's no uh, video of him exiting the bar. He disappeared, was never found. So again, did somebody take him? Did somebody sneak him out the back in you know, the one spot that the cameras couldn't see? Uh, to this day, there's been no trace of him, and that's been several years now. And that's in a bar. Yeah. So that sounds it, like it just goes to show that, that you can go missing from anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a national park or a state forest or the woods at all. People go missing in the city. There was one story that I covered from uh, here in New England where I live. It happened back in uh, the 40s, late 40s, where a guy went missing from a bus. Uh, the driver and the other passengers saw him get on this bus, and he didn't get off at any of the stops between. And when it got to the final destination, 
his stuff was still there, but he wasn't there and never any sign of him yet. I can't recall the gentleman's name, but uh, things like that. There And there seem to be certain areas where it happens. That happened in a part of uh, the country called the Bennington Triangle, where uh, a lot of people go missing, a lot of strange circumstances, a lot of uh, Native American folklore and things in there about missing people and things in the woods that take people. Yeah, there was a movie I just watched with, oh, I just, I can't remember the name. It was, it's a Western. It had um, Kirk Russell in it. Oh, God, what was it? It was scary. It was a Western. Um, Bones something. Oh, I wish I remember what it was. Uh, maybe I can pull it up. Um, and it, there was these, I know it's, it's fictional, but it made me think because there was this a TikTok that was going around about this giant um, door on the mountainside. Yeah. And it, I think you know Bone Tomahawk was the, the one. Yes, Bone Tomahawk. Yes, that's yeah. it. I just saw it last night. I'm like, ah, I had a couple, I haven't done this in I don't know how long, covered my eyes. It was, it was, it was, oh, it was gruesome. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, it's weird that, you know, because I have you on the show and everything. And I'm like, oh, what? It, and they made that horrific sound. So it got mm. me thinking maybe that there are, you know, creatures that live in these like caves in the woods, in the forest. And they're like that. And we yeah. don't know about it. So it made me well, think about it. Cases I've covered where people heard a voice coming from a cave that knew their name or would even mimic somebody they knew. It was either thousands of miles away or wasn't even alive anymore. So whatever it is, it has a way of getting into your head. And uh, if I heard something calling my name from a cave, I would go the other direction just as fast as I could go. Well, if they're calling you by name, that's kind yeah. of creepy. That that's has to be very creepy. That, that's really creepy. Does, does any people ever talk about like creatures in the woods that call them by name? Uh, there, like, there's been some discussion about it, but that's another thing. The people that do go missing, uh, when they are found, uh, they either don't remember what happened to them or they're very hesitant to talk about it for whatever reason. So it's my opinion that they saw or experienced something out there that just, you know, almost shattered their psyche that they have a type of PTSD or something Yeah, to, to not want to discuss it. But some of them covered a, a missing child case. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago now, Riker Webb, little boy that went missing uh, from his home. And uh, when they finally found him, he was, uh, I think I was over two miles away, but he had to go up a mountain, down another mountain and through the woods. And they found him in a, a shed, a garden shed out behind another cabin. He was sitting in a uh, grass clipping bag, the kind of behind the lawnmower that catches the clippings and talking to himself. And when oh. they brought him out of there, uh, you'd have to, to look at the picture on the web his eyes are like saucers. He's uh, when I was little, I was born in 1963. I met a lot of Vietnam veterans as a child mm -hmm. and they had that look, that shell shocked a uh, thousand yard stare. And that little kid, he's experienced something out there. I would love to see an interview what? with him later in life and see if he remembers any of what happened to yeah, him. That kid's gonna but the weird thing, he's wearing these little footy pajamas like kids wear. The feet aren't even that dirty. And this was supposedly in the wintertime he walked through. I don't know that it was snowing, but it was raining and muddy. But wow. how'd he get there? Yeah, seriously. It's almost that, like he was teleported or something. Yeah, for having on his feet, those little feety things that were dirty. That was he said he wasn't saying anything. He was talking. He was he was just 
was he mumbling? I, I think he asked for a happy meal or something. He was glad oh to be back, God. obviously. But And then there's other cases where kids that have gone missing, sometimes for a period of time, when they are found, they claim that a bear took them back yeah, to a cave, cuddled that. them, kept them warm, fed them berries. And I know bears don't do that. Uh, especially in the wintertime, if, if a bear is just coming out of hibernation, they're hungry. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. you. You are a burrito to them at that point. Yeah, seriously. If it was like some kind of, it, to me, maybe it was a female. Because I know animals, like the females, always have that protective nature. Maybe it was like like a like a Bigfoot woman that you yeah. know, maternal Anything is possible, but then again, who knows? And uh, I've covered a lot of strange Bigfoot cases and things too. Mount Shasta in California. I've been up there a couple of times. That's a weird, weird place. And uh, one of the most incredible Bigfoot stories that I've ever heard, uh, a two for one happened there. A woman claimed she was there, um, I think it was in the fall, uh, on the slopes of Mount Shasta. And she claimed that she observed a female Bigfoot giving birth. Oh, and then there was another person not related. They didn't know each other, had never heard each other's story. She was there about a year later and in the same meadow observed a female Bigfoot with a, a smaller uh, youth Bigfoot. So did one person watch her give birth and another person saw the same Bigfoot with uh, her baby uh, about a year later? Strange stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. So when you're an out, you was you were an outdoorsman. You would go camping a lot. Did you yeah. buy your? Did you ever see something so unsettling or unexplainable? Um, I had an encounter in the Smokies once. I was up near Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point in the Smokies, and I've got a detailed story of this in my book, uh, My Strange World. But um, forbidden history. Grizzly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. I had been, I, I didn't hike on the, like the, the normal hiking trails. I like to bushwhack and, and go through the, the rough hiking and stuff. And I, I'd been up to Clingman's Dome. I was headed back down. It was late in the afternoon. It was in, uh, I think, late summer, early fall. And as I'm coming down just off to the, the side, Jenny, I see this just beautiful tree. It looked like a Disney tree in a clearing. It didn't even look real. And I walked into this clearing to have a better look at this tree. And I believe it was a beech tree, which is not indigenous to that area. Up at that height, you don't have those kind of trees. Um, and I walked in, I'm looking at it. This thing was ancient. It was big enough around. It would have taken probably half a dozen people stretching and holding hands to circle around this tree. And it's just the most amazing tree I've ever seen. The clouds kind of parted. The sun shone down and hit this tree. And it was just this magical moment. But then suddenly, 
like everything in the forest got quiet. I mean, deathly quiet, like somebody hit a mute switch. I didn't hear the birds. I didn't hear the, the wind in the leaves. I didn't hear water or traffic or other people in the distance or anything. It was deafeningly quiet. And I'm, I'm standing there looking at this and thinking, you know, this is, this is not a normal occurrence. And it was like this little voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but a little voice whispered in the back of my head like, doesn't that look comfortable? Wouldn't that be a good place to sit down and rest? In fact, you could probably sit there and take a nap. You know, you're tired. You've been hiking. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the stark realization, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where, where did that thought even come from? Oh, so it's getting creepy. late. The sun's going to be down soon. I didn't have a headlamp with me. I need to get down off here and get back to where I'd parked. I'm going to be stuck up here in the woods all night. And I think there are things like that out there that lure people into this uh, false sense of security. And that's almost sounds like a Rip Van Winkle type thing. Yeah. I, mean, I think if I sat down under so the tree creepy. and went to sleep, whatever's up there, it would have taken me and yeah. I the missing in the smoke. <laughs> that's, so. So, that's so creepy. I don't like that at that's all. It's one of the strangest experiences I've had there, but uh, other places, uh, when I was hiking up on, it was on the Appalachian trail uh, just outside of Damascus, Virginia. I'd, so I've never through hiked, but I did a lot of section hiking. And uh, I was in there at night. Now, I had a headlamp that time. It's about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I was off trail. And I'd been hearing the tree knocks and the strange yips and yowls. Now, there's a lot of animal noises that uh, I'm somewhat familiar with, but occasionally you'll hear something that will make a noise that you're not so familiar with. So I'd been hearing these strange noises and uh, heard the tree knocks. And all of a sudden, I heard something hitting the ground, and I looked, and there were little round river rocks about two or three inches in diameter coming out of the tree line uh, straight at me. They're not like uh, I didn't follow a parabolic arc or anything like somebody was lobbing them at me. They were flying out of the woods. Didn't feel them hit me, but I heard them hitting the ground. I shined my headlamp down. I picked one up, and it was hot or warm to the touch. And I thought, you know, what is this? This is strange. But... Then those, uh, I call them my granny senses. I could hear my grandmother say, you know, you need to probably turn around and, and go the other way. So I don't know that it was a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, but I've been hearing the noises and they are prevalent in that area. And uh, years later, thinking back on that, I came to the conclusion, I don't think they were trying to hurt me or scare me. I think they were trying to warn me. There was probably a bear or a big cat or something back in there that I was going to walk up on and surprise and they were letting me know, hey, you need to turn around and go a different direction. And I did and didn't have any other occurrences on that particular. Now, did you feel like in both these incidents, did you felt like you were in danger or just had a weird feeling? It was just it was more of a weird feeling, kind of the, the prickling sensation that you get on the back of your neck. I, uh, there's only been three times in my life that I was genuinely scared of something in the woods or in the edge of the woods. And. Uh, they're in the book, except for the, the scariest one. And I talk about that on one of my YouTube channels. But uh, most times it's just an, an uncomfortable, uneasy feeling. Just listen to that gut instinct. You have something inside you that will warn you off of potentially mm -hmm. bad situations, I think. But you have to learn to listen to it. So we can't hear your scary story. We have to wait. And we have to go I, I could give it. you a condensed Can you give us a little um, condensed version? Um, Probably number three. And then again, there's one that's scary and the other two kind of tie for second place. 
Um, and one, I'd gone home with a friend from school. I'll call him Dickie. And uh, Dickie's parents liked their privacy. They lived way, way out in the woods. Their driveway was two miles long. And part of their property had been a working farm at one point. Well, about halfway down their driveway or a mile down this gravel road, there was an old farm shed of some sort uh, set up on a bank, and there was a shale pit there. And we were kind of scientific-minded for the little kids. We were like eight, nine years old. And we'd gone down there to look for fossils in the, the shale. And uh, suddenly we heard some kind of weird noise, almost like a, a growl or a some kind of animalistic noise. And we looked up at the same time where this little shed was up on the, uh, the bank there, up on a little rise. And there was something in there that we drew pictures of it independently when we both saw the same thing. It looked like a horse skull but it still had the eyes and, but they weren't on the sides of a head like a horse. They were in the front and it had these really sharp teeth. Uh, horses have those big flat teeth, you know, for chewing yeah. up vegetation and stuff, but this had sharp teeth and uh, kind of a rictus grin there. And it couldn't not grin, you know, just because of the sharp teeth and it didn't have any flesh on it. But unlike a horse, it had horns like antlers or something coming out of its head. And um, it was making some kind of noise at us. And we saw it at the same time. We panicked and ran screaming back up the driveway. Horns. And um, his mom was trying to get us settled down. His dad finally had had enough. He came out of the house and wanted to know what all the hubbub was out here. And uh, we'd calmed down a little bit by that point to describe what we'd seen. And uh, finally, he's like, okay, just, just. You know, settle down. I'm going to go down there and have a look. Went inside, gets a double barrel shotgun, goes walking down the driveway. So we're outside under the shade of an apple tree. His mom brought us some Kool-Aid or some lemonade out there or something. We're trying to to settle down and we're listening. You know, we're waiting for a, a blast or a scream or something. Well, in a few minutes, he comes walking back up the hill, shotgun over his shoulder. Just a strange, strange look on his face. And he came over to where we were. And uh, he knelt down and said, I want you boys to promise me something. He said, promise me you'll never go down there and play around that shack again. And uh, that's a promise I made, and I've kept it for 52 years now. But um, And then uh, a couple of weeks later at school, Dickie came up to me and said, hey, you know that shed down there we're not supposed to play in? He said, my dad pulled it down into the shell pit and burned it. So he, I think he saw something, and it scared him too. But the uh, thing was, he was full Cherokee. And uh, I've been oh. told by people more proficient in the legends and stuff that I am, that that was some type of skinwalker or something. Yeah, horns. I've even been after him. But uh, either way, we encountered it, and it, it scared the pants off of both us. And I was eight, and Dickie was nine. Do, what year was this? Because this sounds like a story that Tim Renner had. He was talking and, about. I know Tim, you know, strange familiars, you know, but uh, he may have heard me tell it. Uh, it would have been, let's see, I was born in 63. So about 1970, 1971, somewhere yeah, in he, there. He said, he said someone was similar to the story. I mean, that he'd happened to him around okay. here. So yeah, anything it's, can happen anywhere. Uh, and then the, the second time that I was scared, it also happened when I was eight years old. This happened on the farm where I grew up. Um, I was out just wandering around the woods. Like I said, we lived on 26 and a half acres and only about five acres. So that was cleared. So I had a lot of woods to play in. There were 
natural creeks and, and things on that property. Taught myself a lot of uh, woodcraft and uh, just enjoyed being in the woods. I was a late in life, unexpected baby. And uh, my brother, only brother was 17 years older than me. So didn't really know him. So I had to make my own fun. We lived out in the country. Nearest neighbor my age was about two miles away. So I'm out one day just wandering around and I'd build tree forts and uh, catch uh, minnows and tadpoles and things like that. And uh, this one particular time I'd walked up, there was a ditch, a big ditch that ran along one line of the property, about 12, 15 feet deep in this particular part of it. And uh, my brother had had an old, uh, he used to keep hunting dogs. He was a, a hunter uh, mm -hmm. prior to me being born. And uh, I walked up there and uh, passed where he used to keep his dog lot, uh, dog run out there. It was rusting into the ground. There was nothing there. Had been no animals in it for years. Walked up and kind of looked down in this ditch and thought, yeah, I'm not going to bother climbing down there right now. But I turned around to walk away. And when I did, I heard something in the leaves. As I turned back around, whatever it was came up over the lip of the ditch directly toward me, maybe 50 feet away but I couldn't see anything. I could see the effect that it was having on everything. Tree branches swaying, leaves being kicked up, but there was nothing there. I could feel the footfalls. That's how heavy whatever this was. So I ran screaming down the hill. I was probably a quarter mile away from home. And I was making enough fuss. My mom came out on the back porch to see what I'd gotten into this time. And uh, I went past her inside the house and hid under the furniture. And uh, not too long after that, uh, my dad got home and my brother just happened to stop by. He'd been out married and on his own for a few years at that point. And uh, I was trying to describe to them what happened up there. They were asking me questions like, well, was it a bear? No. Was it a deer? No. Was it a skunk? You know, no, there was none of these things. I lived in the woods. I had seen those things in the wild. We had deer. Mm -hmm other animals we didn't have any bear there that i ever encountered but i'd seen those in the smokies even as a kid but whatever it was it wasn't visible well flash forward uh, a few years later i'm 15 and we're getting ready to move from there we'd sold that farm and uh, we're moving a few miles up the road uh, closer to where i was going to go to high school 15 at this time i'm out just taking one last look around the property uh, looking at all my haunts there was a bee tree there and uh a lot of rock formations, like I said, springs and uh, a creek that went into the lake and things. And I, I walked back up there. First time I'd been up there by myself in a long time. I'd tried going up with a, a friend and nothing bothered me. Even sent him up to the edge of the ditch as bait. I'd go stand and look in there and see if you see anything. And I'll hide down here behind this tree. But uh, that time I was alone. I walked up to the edge of the ditch, looked back down and then thought, <laughs> you know, wonder what scared me seven years ago when I was eight, you know, just kind of laughing at myself almost. Turned around, walked back down the hill. And again, about the time I got uh, a few yards away, that old familiar sound of something in the leaves. Turned around and looked. Sure enough, came over the edge of the, the lip of the ditch there right toward me. Now, I didn't run crying and screaming that time, but, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't waste any time getting back to the house. Then we moved about three months later, flash forward another six years. I'm uh, 21 now. I'm working uh, in West Knoxville. And the guy that I worked with invited me to a house party after work. And I didn't know this guy really at all, just from work and didn't really know him from there. 
But uh, I thought, sure, I'll go. It's just down the street at uh, a clubhouse, an apartment complex. So we get there. There's a bunch of people there, maybe 20, 30 people. And uh, uh, some of the girls that were in attendance of the party, they either, I don't know if somebody, if they had it with them or if they found it under the couch in the, the clubhouse. But anyway, they came out with a Ouija board. Oh, and no. They said, oh, this will be fun. We're going to, you know, go around the room and ask people questions. And uh, they, you know, got it sitting there and doing its thing and uh, comes around uh, to me. And uh, the only thing I said was, what scared me when I was eight years old? Didn't didn't give away anything. I never told that story to anybody outside of my immediate family and certainly didn't tell it to the guy that I worked with or anybody that was in attendance at that party. Well, they get the planchette and there's two girls there doing it. It's doing its figure eight and then it starts spelling out W V. T E R S P R I T E. They looked at me. I just shrugged. I don't know. And they, they made a joke. Oh, the, the board's thirsty. It wants some water or maybe a Sprite. Ha ha ha. And then they went on to somebody else. But the next day that I had off, I went to the big library in downtown Knoxville. I went up to the reference desk and I asked the reference librarian, I said, what can you tell me about a water Sprite, water spirit? She goes off into the stacks, come back. She's got a big book of mythology and, um, and like fey creatures and elementals and things in it. But there was two that particularly caught my attention. One was a naiad and the other was a dryad. A naiad is a spirit, the guardian of the waters, and a dryad is a guardian of the forest. Well, this particular property, like I said, there was, there was water there. There were seven natural springs there that flowed out of hillsides, uh, six of them did. One was an artesian spring that flowed into the creek, which went into the lake. So what better place for a guardian of the water or the woods than a place like this? So according to the Ouija board, that's what chased me out of the woods, something that I couldn't see. That's, that's it's any so explanation crazy. I've got, but there you go. Yeah, that is Ouija board. Like, Where did the Ouija board the, – the spirit behind the Ouija board, where did he get yeah. the information from? So it, it knew because it knew exactly to my recollection what I was talking about. Yeah. Because that it's, made sense. And the ditch line that I talked about uh, from further research as an adult, found out that was the old stagecoach road through the area dating back to revolutionary times. Wow. And that area down by the Springs, which was just down the hill, uh, we regularly found the uh, Arrowheads, uh, Civil War uh, bullets and things down there. I think a lot of people had gotten ambushed stopping there for water. And uh, who knows? Just, there was a lot of place, places in that land that we lived on that had supernatural things or didn't feel right. Seems like it has a lot of supernatural stuff yeah. going on there. I just want to take a quick pause. Um, if you're just joining us tonight, we have Steve Stockton. He's a researcher, author. He has a couple podcasts, um, Missing People. Um, it's a really interesting. So if you want to check him out on, what's what's the name of your um, podcast uh, again, Steve? Missing Person Mysteries. Uh, that, that's the big one. I've got some other channels. But uh, that's the, uh, I think I'm around 277, 278,000 subs over there. So a lot that's of great. Uh, I don't want to say a lot of fun because it's a touchy subject that we're yes, enjoying raising it's the It's enjoyable to if you're get interested these people's in people's names and faces out there. Yeah, yeah. So it's tra a lot of it's tragic. Um, when you miss, when, gosh, I, if, when you hear on the news all these 
what was that little girl's they just she was missing they found her uh, murdered um by someone she had babysat her you're you're talking about but the the name slips my mind but yeah those are the the terrible ones at least if they're never found there's still a hope that they may be alive but if you look at that from a parent or a relative or a loved one or a friend's side of it, that's that's got to be just absolutely gut-wrenching for somebody gut-wrenching. to disappear, and you never have closure. You never um, have Dennis closure. Martin case that I talked about, I met his father um, under different circumstances, and uh, on his desk at the architectural firm that he worked at, he had a picture of Dennis on it. says, that was why I figured out who he was, but I didn't, didn't mention the case, but... Um, every year around uh, the anniversary of Dennis's disappearance, the local stations there in Knoxville would run a special about Dennis. And I'll never forget they interviewed his father. I think it was like the 40th, this 40th anniversary of the disappearance. And uh, he said, I've, I've always felt in my heart of hearts that I'll never see him again. But he said, there's a part of me that thinks one day there's going to be a knock at the door. And I'll go to the door, and there'll be a young man standing there, and he's going to say, oh, you know, another reporter. Open the door. Yeah, can I help you? And the young man will look at me in the eye and say, Dad, it's me. It's Dennis. I've come home. I just, you know, that just tore me up so bad. It never happened. Yeah. Um, he passed away a few years ago without ever knowing what happened to Dennis. Nobody knows. That's, that's tragic. It's got to be just terrible for a gut wrenching yeah i I wouldn't be able i wouldn't be able to go on i don't think i could handle that especially if it's your child disappears and you never have any closure yeah i'd totally be thinking my mind wouldn't shut off i would i would just go in all the darkest um possible outcomes i i i I couldn't live with myself if something happened it would be horrific and just hard to imagine yeah at least you know if they are found deceased you can have a proper burial yeah, or yeah. have an urn on the mantle with the ashes in it. But if they're never found, you don't have anything. Then if you go in the other direction, Steve, you know, if you go in the other direction and it's an abduct, you know, a child predator, and yeah. then they do come back and they're, they're never going to be the same. I mean, I don't think so. If they abuse the child, no. how, how the kid's never yeah, going to be normal. It's going to be the trauma for life there. Yeah. It's going to be just horrifying. Horrific. Yeah. But um, the ones that, that are interesting are to me, the ones that there is no, there is no evidence. The person just is, or if it's a, a hunter that is, that is experienced, yeah. he knows the woods. He's no, he like, even the ex military men, they know how to use a weapon and they just disappear. Yeah. There's nothing. They just, they never, they'll never come back they're gone and forever that, that happens more often than not it'll be somebody that's very experienced uh trail runners mountain trail runners uh like you mentioned hunters uh, ex-military uh people that you know you would think they would fare a lot better in the woods but if there is something taking people it seems to have a criteria for selection and that's one of the things that it appears to like uh, a lot of missing people tend to be of Germanic descent. Uh, they tend to have uh, on one end of the spectrum or the other. They're either very, very intelligent or on the, the autism spectrum. Wow. So it's, That's I don't know. Crazy. There's a lot of curious a, stuff out there and there's a lot more questions than answers. In fact, there aren't any real answers in a lot of these cases. 
it just blows my mind when I hear about them or, you know, I, I watch so many podcasts and radio, listen to radio talk shows about it, like how they like, like on the one case that David, um, I can't remember the name of it, where the hunter had his um, boots were set such a perfect, like together, or they found his coffee cup um, thermos on the top of a hill by itself. Yeah. It's like, why? It's and like, that's another thing where a lot of times they'll find the person's boots or shoes. Yeah. And they've just left them there like they've continued barefoot. And sometimes that'll be in either places where you would have difficulty walking barefoot or in the middle of a snowstorm. And they just yeah. walk out and they've found clothing uh, sometimes folded and just left there near where the person disappeared. So what is that? But, you know, I, I have a, not really a theory, but a thought on that. If you were someone or something that wanted to hunt a human, but you wanted to at least give them a sporting chance, what better thing to do than take their boots off and then say, okay, you've got a head start. Let's see how far you can oh, get. And that, that, isn't that horrifying? That I lived so in Portland, funny. Oregon for a while, and uh, you may have heard of the Shanghai Tunnels, which are a real thing uh, in Portland. It's back from the, the frontier, the pioneer days of, of Portland. But um, some of the bars and brothels downtown had like a, a chute in the back where you would drop, be dropped down into one of these tunnels. Uh, you're having a drink, enjoying yourself, whatever. They slip you something. When you wake up, you're disoriented. You've been dropped down this chute. If you're not already on a ship uh, headed out to sea, that's where the Shanghai part came in, the thing of getting Shanghai. But uh, I've toured those tunnels. There are some of them that you can still go into. The floor is sandy but it's covered in broken glass. So you oh, wake up, you've been drugged, you're disoriented, you're missing your shoes, and the floor is covered in glass. What would you do? You couldn't get away. So again, no. frightening to think about, but you know, when you're conjecturing, there's, there's all kinds of things. This, this is the kind of stuff that rolls around in my head at night when I can't sleep. Think oh. of these scenarios. That's <laughs> That would keep me up more. Um, Michael Anthony said, slave labor buildings, the underground worlds. Isn't that what you were just sort of what you were saying? Uh, I've heard that theory too, that there are uh, underground bases that exist and that they need uh, humans either to uh, as, as labor or uh, to, uh, to replenish uh, whatever they need to uh, further the, people that, are, that live down there. You know, if you're creating a new society underground, you're going to need uh, different uh, blood types, different people oh gosh, uh, to get away from inbreeding and things like that if you're starting. Or there's that theory about that it's uh, some sort of alien or extraterrestrial uh, work and that they're using humans for hybrids. Yeah, that's what that's what I was reading, that they did that. The, the, all these underground, uh, the levels underground in uh, Mexico, do, was it do, 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 Dulce? Do, yeah. Dulce. A lot um, of stories have... out there. And it's hard to find uh, anywhere on the internet, but there's a man named Phil Schneider that uh, worked in Dulce Base, had an incredible, incredible story. And uh, it's been pretty much scrubbed from the internet. But if you can find a copy of it, uh, take a look at that. And his testimony is just compelling. And he knows what he's talking about. You can tell he's not just making stuff up. And, uh, kind of a, a Bob Lazar type type. Oh thing. yeah, Bob. There was a woman on Facebook that I follow. I got a lot of information from her. 
I can't remember her name. I am so bad anymore with my, my memory. Um, she had all these sketches and she was talking about that. They sometimes the, the government are taking these people and they're doing the experiments. They're the, they're taking people and they're going for the smartest people. So it's like you said that some of these hunters that are so intelligent, that disappear that they're actually the, the, the government military are taking people and they're presumed missing. Meanwhile, they're abducting them. Yeah. For no, yeah. Who knows there's, what they're using. There's, them for. there's so many different theories about that. You know, then there's a possibility or a plausibility rather to all of them. If you stop and think about it. Yes, Cindy, all proof. We won't find the truth. If we did find the truth, who would believe us? Yeah. And then there's also the containment theory. Uh, which uh, the brothers over on the Belief Hall podcast have talked about that one a few times, um, that the national parks were created to contain these uh, hybrids in an area where we can keep them away from the general population, but that anybody that ventures into the national parks, then you're fair game. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah. With this. There's, there's so many rabbit holes. And, and once you go down one rabbit hole, then you're into a whole warren, and there's other rabbit holes that go off on all the other sides. And uh, it's, again, that one measures a circle beginning anywhere. And then it's like an octopus with a thousand tentacles, especially when you start going into the, the woo factor like that, the conspiracy theories and things, which um, who knows? I mean, the people are capable of doing anything. Michael says they are preparing EIE preparations. Do you know what he means by that? I think that's ELE, extinction extinction level event, uh, building underground bases for the elites and things in case of some sort of a catastrophic uh, thing here on the surface so that they could go underground and survive and, and try to rebuild and repopulate. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going around the internet and all the different social medias that they're saying they're preparing us for something that they're going to plan they're planning on doing on um, the government. And to me, the even hospitals and dentist office because they are considered medical. It's like they're doing this. They, but you know what, Steve? I think they think we're like really stupid. Like we can't figure this out that it's them. Like even they're saying um, about the false um, alien invasion, the fake alien invasion that they're planning and everything. And heard that. And then there's Project Blue Beam, yes. which I've heard, heard uh, conspiracy theories about where they can beam holographic projections into the sky that you'll believe. And then there's also a school of thought on that that they can actually project those into your head so that you can see and hear things. That aren't okay. really there, but you'll believe it. So, so you just, you just, what you just said was something I was talking about. Uh, I don't know if it was last week or that, or actually, I had a conversation with the person right here, uh, one of my friends' associates. That a lot of people are claiming um, that used to be that you would be talking in front, like you say you're talking to your wife, and um, I want to go get new. Um, I don't know. I want a new, I want a new car. And all of a sudden you start seeing all this stuff on, you know, come up on Google. Okay. Now you didn't Google it. Okay. So your phones or whatever in your house or TV is spying on you, but this gets a little bit worse. Okay. This is a little step up. Did you, a lot of people, I know I, this happened to me, actually two or three people I've talked to that you thought of something you were interested in doing, maybe going to Aruba 
you're thinking it. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, you're not saying it out loud, but all of a sudden, your, your, your computers, your Google, um, Facebook, you're getting all these ads. Now, tell me how the hell that, that is happening. Yeah, and I've had the same thing happen. Uh, my wife and I, we've been stuff that we just thought about that we haven't even mentioned to one another. We'll start getting ads for it. So yes, how is that happening? Yeah, that's uh, I don't know because it's I'm, not I, it's I not people. just limited to one or two yeah. people. It's like everybody's experiencing this, yeah. and it's like what? And, the? Uh, I knew of a guy that was uh, shopping in the store, and uh, there was something he thought about. Thought, I'm going to look for that, but he just thought it in his yes. head. Yes, and he's using a little in-store shopping app, and it suddenly pops up and like pop tarts are on aisle six. He hadn't looked it up. He hadn't spoken it aloud. But he was thinking, I wonder where the Pop-Tarts are. And then Pop-Tarts are on aisle six. And again, if, if they've got that kind of technology that they're using on consumers, imagine what the military version of that can do. Yes, but where is it coming from? Is it coming from the government? Is it coming from somebody else? Up here is our huge distraction. What Up here is is our huge distraction, but they are things real. We are seeing yeah, classic misdirection, like the, the parlor magician. See what this hand's doing, but you can't, don't pay attention to this hand. It's yeah. actually, you know, it's uh, uh, everything like that, I think, is some sort of distraction. Like the people keep talking about the full disclosure. And now with, with AI and CGI and all that, if a UFO landed on the White House lawn, People wouldn't believe it. You're not going to believe it. You're not yeah. going to believe it. You're like, you've become so desensitized to all this crap that they're putting out there that you, I wouldn't believe them. And even if they come back and they say, oh, there's like this new thing is about a new, new um, pandemic, this new germ, this X germ. I'm going to tell you, you know what? No, you're just, you're just. Oh, it's, it's in the commercials. It's on the TV shows and in the movies. Uh, that's why they call it programming. I think it's we're being <laughs> yeah. conditioned to think certain ways about certain things to make whatever this big reveal or series of big reveals is going to be. Now we're getting into some conspiracy territory here, but uh, you never know. Yeah. Well, I'm a big conspiracy force. <laughs> track trace things will be controlled by computers. Even us. Yeah. That's what's scary about a, uh, Okay. Yeah. Artificial intelligence. I mean, it's, it's a useful tool. I've, I've used it uh, for yeah. some of the things that I do. But if it becomes uh, cognizant, you know, if it's if you've ever seen the movie RoboCop, and that was, you know, from the 80s, where the, the robot police shows up, you know, present your papers, citizen. The guy shows his papers, and it says you have five seconds to present your papers. Like, here they are. I'm showing you. I'm showing you. And then the RoboCop thing had permission to obliterate him. So, I think that's what will happen. It'll be a, a war with the robots at, at some yeah, point. Definitely, it's going to be a war. If they become self-aware, they're going to decide, well, the biggest threat to humanity are, is humans. So humans must be eradicated. Well, just like Elon <laughs> Musk wants to put those chips in people for, for, for medical reasons, I still don't think it's a good idea. It might help no. somebody with, I don't think, GPT predicted the COVID pack. Yeah, yeah. They probably did. Uh, we were, I was talking to a couple people yesterday about um, chat GBT, uh, how to perform heart surgery on a valve replacement. Okay. <laughs> and he'll tell you how to do it. That's what's scary. You know, so your doctor's going to be on chat GBT trying to figure out how to do it. You can do anything with that. That's just, but, it's just but it can make mistakes. It tells you, you yes, know, verify important things. 
Um, so I wouldn't want a doctor operating on no. me that was getting directions from AI. I'm sorry. No, but you, that would scare <laughs> me. But if you needed to perform some, I don't know. It's kind of scary getting your it information in the right direction. I think yeah. but I wouldn't. It's, heavily it's on. good. It's good to a point, but I don't think it's going to take And again, this is the, the level of stuff that we could access. Imagine what uh, the military industrial complex, what their AI is like. Yeah, there's gonna um, there's a lot of crazy stuff, but um, okay, we're running down Interesting to the last time one. to be alive. <laughs> yes, it's it's an, a fascinating time to be alive, but it's a scary time too. It's like, gosh, you know, if you think about your grandparents, could they have handled all this stuff? I don't know, but uh, maybe your grandma might. <laughs> but um, Steve, let us know where we can find you. Let our audience know where they can find you. Well, uh, the main uh, channel of. Missing Persons and Mysteries on YouTube. And then I'm on the Clyde Lewis Ground Zero Radio Network. My show, Everything Out There, airs on Sunday nights from 9 to 11 Eastern. And uh, my books are available on Amazon. Or if you want uh, signed and uh, personalized copies, I have those on my Etsy shop. Just Steve Stockton books on Etsy. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, you should probably do ASMR, too, because you have a cool voice. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. It was really a good show. Um, it was a pleasure having you on the show, Steve. And thank you, everybody in the chat, to join us. And we'll see you uh, next time. Same place, same channel. And don't forget to watch Into the Night with Sean Kelly. He's next up. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. See you later and have a great weekend. And my music did not come on, so I don't know why. But anyways, see you later. Signing off. Have a good one, everyone. Love you.